Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Boston Podcast, coming at you today live in stereo. For those of you listening on headphones, you got that joke. For those who aren't, uh, you probably didn't. But at any rate, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. I remind you to look at all of our past episodes on thebostonpodcast.com. That's right. How easy is that to remember? Thebostonpodcast.com. No dots or dashes in between or any nonsense like that. Visit us there and you will see past episodes of the, the, uh, the show with people like Emily Rooney just recently, the, uh, the local media legend. That was a great one. She talked a lot about her dad, Andy Rooney, by the way. You're going to want to hear what she had to say. We've also talked to, who we talked to in the past? Oh, I don't know, luminaries such as uh, Mike Dukakis and Margie Claproot from the world of uh, politics. And um, we've got the media types, Chuck Hogan, who wrote the book that became the movie The Town, and most recently, uh, Bob LoBell, Upton Bell. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we've got for you a uh, a private investigator named Bob Long. He's a former cop. He's one of the most well-respected PIs in Boston. He's got story upon story of uh, his days as a state trooper and his days as a PI. And you're really going to enjoy this. And join me on the podcast. We had the full, full Boston podcast staff on hand, Sarah Worley from Worley Conflict Resolutions and Max Perlman from the law firm of Hirsch Roberts, where we record the Boston podcast. Please email me if you want to be a guest on the show, davidlyas at gmail.com. If you want to be so bold as to call me or leave me a text message, that phone number, kids, is 781-820-1027. I want to get you right to Bob Long and the big show. Here it is, another edition of the Boston Podcast coming at you now. This one's for you, Boston. Boston's a different city than it was 20 years ago. The hope rises again. And the dream lives on. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. The world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder. This is our f***ing city. Yes, it's our city. It's our podcast. It's our community. It's our right to complain about how friggin' hot it is outside. My God, it is 96 degrees and we're sitting here in an office which is lovely and it's air conditioned. But I mean, every time you need to walk more than like four blocks, I'm dripping wet. And my co-hosts are sitting here looking at me like I'm strange. You're insane. Yes, I'm absolutely complaining this about the heat. Like it's terrible. Heaven. No, what? Be quiet. You're gonna bring the snow back. You know what? You're a, you you're talking. a girl, and this is less of a problem for girls. I noticed this because I went to the uh, Brian Adams concert last night. Not a not a brag at all, right there. Um, and and it was a great show, but it was steamy in the tent there, the whatever they call it now, the Blue Hills Bank Pavilion. And um, like you could smell the bo. You could smell the bo was everywhere, and it was all the men. And the women don't don't smell for some reason. So okay, I, I know I'm complimenting we're get on off you this topic, for not smelling. Can I just point out before we start like taking bets who has it easier in the summertime? Yeah. I love you very much. You have virtually no hair, which I think is a choice on your part. Okay, you're doing something it's with m- it to, to make it shorter. I have a very short hair. It's, yes. Women in this weather. In, oh, it's in yeah, it's the, the frizz. It's insane hair. Right. Max, Tell me about it. Max has shared with me Tell he does me not like the curly hair thing that I have to do all summer long, and I apologize. That's not true. I just like the straight hair a little bit better. Okay, but I'm willing to take one for the team to have the yeah. warm weather, okay? So just hush up about the snow. Can okay. Well, the good thing is our guest is dressed perfectly appropriately. And what you, is that a, a poplin suit? Is that what that is? Is that what that's called? Uh, it's a summer suit. Summer suit is a beautiful summer suit. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, if you're listening for the first time, uh, you've probably already turned off your podcast because <laughs> this is a very strange way to start the show. But my name is David Yaz, and welcome back again to the Boston Podcast Find us always at thebostonpodcast.com. And with me, as usual, Max Perlman, uh, the tremendous, gifted, skilled, and as we mentioned, follically gifted uh, attorney at Hirsch Roberts, which is where we record these podcasts. Hey, and, yes, did nice. you have? I was just saying hi. Oh, That's good. It. Nice to see you. Yeah. 
you, you thought I was going to actually give you the opportunity to talk? Yeah, I was hoping, I guess so. The yeah. biggest criticism of this show, uh, Bob, is that I never let them talk. And um, you're going to find that, that is ex I'm extremely consistent in my approach. And Sarah Worley, who is a mediator at Worley Conflict Resolutions, who earlier this year moved to her office to a location, so I hope no one's confused. Where's your new office? 50 Milk Street. 50 Milk Street. 16th floor. It's rocking. Really? Yes. You loving it? I love it. Good. I heard that building was haunted. Late at night, you can hear the voices of departed lawyers and accountants who just bored themselves to death there, I think. It is the... I'm making that up. The, no, you, it is haunted yeah. by the ghosts of Burns and Levinson. Oh, is that that's <laughs> where Burns and Levinson is? I'm, oh, I'm in their space. <laughs> oh, my so, God. Some people I know who've passed on to their great reward passed if, me by it. If you <laughs> listen closely, you can hear Brian Bixby screaming at an associate and telling him to get back to work. Uh, wait a minute. Where's my rim shot? Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. So, um, we've, we're being rude to our guest because he deserves much better treatment than this, but Bob Long who, as Max pointed out, is, is dressed in the... I would call this a summer suit. I already said it. It looks like something out of um, uh, a John Grisham uh, book made into a movie because they're all down south when everyone's sweating all the time and he hot. You should be a Louisiana lawyer. Yeah, that's right. A, a, I a said New Orleans. Suit. Yeah, but you look very sharp, Bob. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for being here. So Bob's a private investigator, and to just say that and to say that he heads up Bob Long Investigations Group, LLC, sells him short because if he is... He is a, a sort of a uh, Forrest Gump, and stick with me on this comparison, a Forrest Gump when it comes to moments, important moments in Massachusetts, politics, law, crime. He worked on the, the epic Dumoulis case where the, the battle over that supermarket fortune that, that ended in such uh, strange fashion, and Bob, we should, put out, uh, we should point out, supported the uh, prevailing side in that case. Um, uh, not to mention that Bob was involved in criminal uh, prosecutions. Bob is a former uh, cop, a former state trooper. He was a state police trooper of the year in 1974 when he was 12 years old. That was pretty good. You did that. Long um, time ago. Yeah, and um, and I should I, I left out one uh, an, another huge case, which was the the Reggie Lewis litigation. We all remember that when Reggie Lewis passed away some some uh, litigation over the the clean bill of health that doctors had mistakenly given him and you were you supported the the uh, prevailing the side in that one as well yes right yeah, okay doctors. all right we're done thanks for coming Bob uh, and yeah. remember <laughs> let's see so so um, do you so now how long has it been in strictly in the PI side of things I retired from the state police in 1990 we had a 20-year retirement program back then so uh, I went out uh, in the investigate, private investigative world in, uh, for the past 25 years. Yeah. And apparently you still enjoy it. I love it. Uh, I don't do any criminal defense. I don't, won't step over that line. Um, I feel uncomfortable doing that. Um, there's other people that will do that. Uh, a lot of times I try to help the victims of fraud, embezzlement, those type of scams. Meaning you won't um, accept, um, how would that work? A criminal defense lawyer would hire you to try to not, exonerate their... Right, I would, not, I, I would not work like a, a defending a, a homicide case or an armed robber or any of that or drugs. I just, I don't take them. Why not? I, I, I feel uncomfortable because I spent a career putting them behind bars and I don't want to spend a second career getting them out. It would be a nice and, equilibrium, though, wouldn't but, it? But no, no, it's because it's, it's other people do it. I, it. And I do a lot of cases that I interact with the police and I interact with the DAs. I got uh, two cases I just brought up to John Blodgett that, uh, uh, that he handled the prosecution on. One was a kickback scheme involving the, a, uh, a CFO of a company. Um, and another one was a controller at St. Anne's uh, School up in... Methuen, where they she bezeled a significant amount of money mm -hmm. from, and that was a sp school for special needs children and behavioral disorders. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I took the case and I presented it and got them indicted, and they went. They both went to prison. Mm -hmm. John doesn't fool around up there. They, they go to jail <laughs> up in Essex County. Yeah. So let, let's step back a minute because, um, and this this may be sort of a, a silly uh, non-law enforcement naive question, but. Um, how many years were you a trooper? 22. So 22 years as a trooper. Yeah. Now, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. When I see, when I get pulled over by, I got pulled over by a state trooper the other day. So yeah. let's make this about me, okay? That's what, that's what, okay, so I got pulled over and honestly didn't know what I did. I wasn't, I don't, I didn't think I was speeding. 
and uh, but pulled you over. Too drunk to know what you did. Well, yeah. that, that usually helps, you know, numb yeah. the, the pain of, of being um, of being you know pulled over like that. So he pulls me over, and um, he's he's agitated. He's angry. He comes up and he says, he says. Um, I said, hi, officer, how you doing? And he says, a lot better than you, I can tell you that. And I said, well, I'm was sorry. Was it Napoleon Dynamite? I mean, that's what <laughs> he, he goes, what, we, that's what, what do you mean? That sounds like Napoleon Dynamite. Gosh. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> no, what does he say? He says, uh, I can't think of it. Anyway. Anyway. Put in the Napoleon Dynamite clip later, Dan. Uh, no, but he, uh, he says, um, uh, what were you doing on your phone? What were you doing on your phone? And, uh, and so, truth be told, I... I, I I don't know. I looked. I had looked at my phone. I was waiting for an email, and I think I had held it up uh, to, to sort of uh, shoulder level to look at it. And um, and so he said, "You were texting, weren't you?" And I I, I couldn't answer because I, I was well. I didn't want to say, "Well, no, I wasn't texting," but I was looking at an email. I don't think that would have satisfied him. And they said, "And then also, you were you almost hit me. You I was in this lane. You were in that lane. You almost hit me." Now I don't. I think I, I would have uh, hit. I think I would have known if I almost hit him. Anyway, big ticket. <laughs> no defense. I, said, I, will, but, I will say that, that you are not that strong a driver. I'm not. So I, I've, I've been a passenger. All right. So, so I, maybe, I got a little yeah, sloppy. Yeah. But this this was a long-winded way of saying it. Sometimes people are, are just naturally scared of state troopers. Mm-hmm. They are the, the the badasses of the law enforcement world. Am I wrong? You guys say something before Bob answers. Well, I'm a Cops are friends. Point child so i'm a slave to authority right um i like the fact that they're scary Mm -hmm. because i think there's a deterrent value to that i think for many many people the vast majority of the population when you see a state trooper you instinctively try and correct whatever action you may be taking um and that's a good thing okay yeah i I think that answer over there you know what (laughs) ask an answer it's all right you have yeah I've had, some, I've had some really positive interactions with state. My, my job doesn't involve dealing with law, law enforcement, but uh, uh, at least not if I'm doing it right. Um, in, and uh, I've had some good interactions, but I've had some interactions that, that have seemed less than fair to me, and no, no more than traffic stops, but that, that I, I'm not going to go on about it. So set us straight, Bob. Tell, tell us sort of what, what the life is like as a state trooper, and, sure. and sort of and tell, tell us why you wanted to get into it and all that. Oh, well, I, when I was a youngster, my father took me to a father-son communion breakfast at Sacred Heart Newton, and I was about 13 years old, and this trooper gave a presentation about what life was like on the state police, and show them raiding uh, gangsters, kicking in doors, drug dealers, chasing people. And I said, ah, my God, somebody will pay me to do that. (laughs) So I said, I'm in, I'm in. And I I pursued that, had some difficulties on the way getting there, Mm -hmm. but I pursued it. Because it's, I I take it it is a competitive process to become a state trooper, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I tried to get the jump start, so before, they had criminal justice here. They only had a part-time at Northeastern. I went out to San Francisco because they had a full-time out there. So I jumped on the bus. Bus lived in the Haight-Ashbury era, uh, 1965 through 67. Wow. wow. Drug, sex, rock and roll. And I got baptized by fire. This Irish Catholic kid from Newton right. with, with a wiffle haircut, an Ivy League sweater. Right. And next thing I walked, you know what I walked into there. It, so, it, so I got baptized. Yeah, yeah. And you had fun out there. Yeah, it was great. So uh, there was another individual who was taking up the same course as I was at the sure. time, a rental, James Simpson. Oh, and, uh, uh, yeah, so, and him and Al, Al Collins, the driver in the yeah, chase. Sure, and, yeah. yeah, they were all there. They were in the program with you? Oh, yeah. So yeah. He is Forrest Gump. I know. I mean, there seriously. you go again, yeah. 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 So, yeah. In fact, uh, um, uh, I was uh, going out for a teal back position, too, and uh, there was this skinny little bow-legged guy that ran with his tongue out in front of me. and yeah. It was O.J., no way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I ended up injuring my knee. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because then I concentrated on studying and, and not screwing around with what can happen out there. So, so you went to USC? No. He was in City College in San Francisco for two years before oh, was he transferred uh, as a junior. Okay. Interesting. So my brother was working for the Patriots doing some PR stuff, and I wrote him to tell him about this Look kid, this OJ. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's going to be famous. I didn't know how famous. Wow. Well, yeah, <laughs> and for the wrong right, reasons yeah, at the yeah. end. So, so yeah. what, what would, did, you, did you get to know him at all? Was he a nice guy? Well, you know, he was just a real handsome guy. Yeah. I mean, the television doesn't do him justice. He's a real handsome guy. He had an incredible charisma and voice. Yeah. He really did. And 
uh, he was one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen in my life. And, and uh, so, but, you know, we all know the rest. History. We all know the rest. And it's yeah. one of the things that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is he was, we, we know him as a Hall of Fame running back because he mm -hmm. was one. If you go back and look at some of those, those uh, tapes, yeah. th there was nobody like him the way no. he moved. Right. But he, as you say, he was terrific on television, yeah. I thought, as, as a commentator, as yeah. a, a sideline reporter. Yeah. And extremely funny in movies oh, yeah. he was great yeah. and then and a great yeah. corporate spokesman too yes or, oh, was sure. it avis yeah. or hertz or hertz. Uh, hertz, yeah. hertz flying yeah. through yeah. the uh, airports yeah. yeah yeah and and um needless to say all his uh, gee i wonder why all his uh his endorsements went away um so um so, all right so, so i got yeah, my so, degree and then i went on the state police we had, went through a very tough academy for four months out in framingham we got home saturday night and had to be back sunday afternoon and and um, after four weeks of training, then you go out and get broken in. And I was out in the Holden Barracks, which is in Worcester mm -hmm. County there. Mm -hmm. And after three months of breaking in, you finally get to go out yourself. Well, I think I stopped every car in Worcester County that night. The first <laughs> time. But I didn't treat him like the officer in Medford treated that individual. Yeah. Uh, if you, I don't know if you read it in the papers. Actually, I don't know. Do you guys okay. know what yeah, time? Yeah, I, okay. yeah, I, I mean, there's not, there's, there's not a place, there's no place for that type of behavior in, in police work. And I think 99% of the police officers will tell you. And some of the um, news we've been reading on the reports about uh, all these cop shootings and what have you, and some of the, it seems to be a problem of what, what they're recruiting out there today. There seems to be a problem. And um, as far as as far as the this officer trooper who stopped you, yeah, who might have been having a bad. Day. I would be very upset too because yeah. I'll tell you, four years ago, before uh, five years ago, before texting became against the law, I got rear-ended from a girl texting Ooh. and totaled my car and I was one twenty-eight, totaled my car, and and uh, so. It's so easy to do, and it just takes that tiny little second. You probably you had yeah. no idea what you were doing. You you probably uh, drifted right. out of the lane. You're right. But anyway, but 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 <laughs> he we did get arrest warrant. If no, it's, uh, no it's not. Federal Street. It's not excusable, but it's understandable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Sarah. Bob, I just wanted to ask you, following up on what David said, and if if you wouldn't mind for the people who are listening, kind of recap what we're talking about in terms of the Medford. Trooper, because I know Mayor McGlynn. Oh, well, it wasn't a trooper. I'm sorry, Medford officer. Yeah. Mayor McGlynn is livid. Yeah. But how does how does a law enforcement professional get to that point? All right, uh, a couple of things. One is it happened to him personally. He was going around that rotary, and the guy came around the wrong way, and oh boy, almost okay. hit him. Okay. Now he's off duty, so he's upset because he almost personally got hurt. But he took it out into his professional. Uh, persona. Once he stepped out and identified him as a police officer, they get it. So, what is you there know? a video of this? Or yes, yes. Oh, yeah. and, 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 yeah, and it, it's really bad. And it's, it's really a tirade. Bad. Does he? Yeah. Does he, oh, yeah, does he hit him? Or? He tells him he's no. going to put a bullet through his head and okay. stuff like that. I mean, okay. it was bad. It was yeah. really bad. And but you know what? That's rare. Right. I'm telling you, it's rare. The reason I went on the state police was I wanted to help people, and and most cops, that's what they want to do. They want to help people, and. Uh, as far as when I was on the road, I spent four years on the road. It was great because you're your own boss out there. You take whatever risk you want, and you can work as hard as you want, and um, you learn so much of human behavior from those stops. You know, sure. two o'clock in the morning, you see these furtive movements. People, you know, putting their shoulder, dropping their shoulder under the front seat. You know, they got a gun. What's yeah. going on? So that was great. Um, it was it was just a great experience. But uh, you. Um, I know I was never interested in giving anybody a ticket unless they were a jerk. That was right. the bottom line. I know, you know, I used to go down the highway. Sorry, but uh, I'd be doing like 75, 80, yep. and I'd be just looking. I could tell. It's just it was one of those things you could just tell if there's something wrong, and, or if somebody blew by me. Yeah, like I had a good uh, Reverend uh, Drynan. Congressman Drynan passed me one day oh, yeah? when I was just doing a detail in Route 2 in Concord and he flew by me. And I go, I didn't know it was him. Right. So I pulled, pulled him over. It was a hot summer night like tonight. Yeah. And he had a T-shirt on. Mm -hmm. The next thing, I, he's trying to get a collar, his collar on. <laughs> so, he knows that's going to So, so when I come up yeah. to him and he goes, um, uh, I, I don't have my license or all the registration. And I says, well... But I'm, I'm Congressman Dryden, and blah, blah, blah. And then I knew after looking at him, I said, it's okay. 
He says, can I have the registration? I don't have it. And I said, well, where is it? He goes, well, it's a rental car. And I said, well, you should have it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I need to know who owns the car. So I'll be, I'll, I'll be back. So I went into the cruiser to run the plate and what have you. And a lot of times you don't know. I'm telling you. And I'm upset because he blew by me. Right. So he embarrassed. I was in a Mark Cruz at the time. So he kind of like, he just said, screw him. Yeah, that's pretty brazen. Yeah. 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 So anyways, he comes up to the car, as I called in the plate, and he's, he looks at my name tag and goes, Long, I'll have you transfer it. Oh, man. <laughs> he, he went there. Yeah. And wow. I go, well, he didn't know I was a detective, but I was just filling in doing a road thing that night. Okay. So he says... I can't stand it here, Congressman. I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah. But he kept on trying to say, Father Drinan, Father Drinan, okay, Father right. Drinan. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, he, he said he was going to have me transfer and all that stuff, but uh, I gave him a ticket. You did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. No, no, the yeah, ticket. I gave him a ticket. Yeah. And he, you know, he said he was going to fight and all that. So he didn't fight, he paid it. <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I yeah. never really, unless somebody, you know, a lot of times people, they just start thinking. And if they have a good attitude, like, Officer, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't paying attention. I'm going to tell you, a lot of, a lot of times they're going to go leave you alone. Okay? Yep. They'll probably give you a warning. Right. Um, but most of the time, I mean, that's how the troopers from my era. No, that's it's a different. It's a different world today. So Once you're, the you're, merger happened in 1994. What merger is that? They merged the MDC police and yep. the registry police and the Capitol police into the state police. Okay. So we ended up getting a lot of uh, individuals that did not have the proper training mm -hmm. and a lot of the news started coming out in the late uh, early 90s about a lot of behavior uh, no mid 90s after the merger and you'd be reading a lot about troopers in trouble and stuff and that's a lot of them came from there but it's changed today they're all going through the same academy okay but this um, going back to this Medford officer right. he's probably a great detective he probably uh, does a great job for the department. He's probably a great guy. He had a bad day. Yeah. He, he he and he was personally affected, and he took that. And you can't take once you're personally involved. You can't take that and just use it as extension of your your profession. Right. Because then you're abusing it. So let me ask you one thing, and then we're going to go to a break. But can you recount a moment where you were legitimately scared? And maybe there's more than one, but can you can you give us a, a story? Because when you paint that picture of you being, you know, late at night, two a.m., wondering what certain person is doing behind the wheel, yeah. that would scare me. <laughs> scare the hell out of me. Well, you know, I've been shot on the job. I I I, I, I did the Hell's Angels up in Lowell. I, I don't think I wasn't scared. I I uh, I slept with a gun out of my pillow, and and. Um, Billy Benowski up in Lowell after I did an organized crime case up right. there. He was a hitman for Went to Hill. The son of one of the members of the gang uh, was going to pay him $13,000 for a hit on me. Is that right? Yeah. So he, How did you uh, find out about that? Benowski testified at his trial, murder trial. And you did, But you didn't know until after the fact. I didn't know it. But no. Oh so so anyways. Only 13000 Yeah, I know. I was kind of... It's a homework. So, but anyways, um, um, so I've been scared a lot, and, and you know what? When you're on the job, to be effective, you can't dwell on it. If you dwell on it, you won't be effective right. because you'll be reserved, hesitant. You'll make decisions that aren't going to be a good decision. And it was one thing comforting that I knew if I got hurt on the job or killed, that my family would be taken care of. And that was a pretty good feeling versus other people in other occupations that take some high risk. If they get hurt, their family's not going to be taken care because of necessarily. The, the benefits package is so Yeah, and so, you know, uh, you have like a yeah. hundred club of, you know, that helps out families mm -hmm. and and what have you. And usually the wife get, will get the uh, retirement benefits of the trooper who got killed, the mm -hmm. officer that got killed. Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah, but it's is a lot of times that, oh my God, I've been scared an awful lot. I mean, yeah. anybody tells you otherwise, it's lying. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break here. Talking with Bob Long, this is great stuff. I wish you were still out there patrolling the highways. We, <laughs> we need more reasonable people like you. 
truth be told, that was the first ticket I've gotten in a long time. I get a lot of warnings. I always feel as blessed, which is why when he handed it to me, I'm like, come on, it's me, come on. I deserved it, let's be honest. We'll be back. Stay with us on the Boston Podcast. This is J.W. Kearney Jr., and my week would not be complete unless I've listened to Unbillable Boston. That's not babbling. Okay. Microphones are on. Live. This is a big-time podcast with big-time production value. This is David Yaz. Thank you for continuing to hang with us on the Boston Podcast. By the way, check out all of our past uh, episodes at thebostonpodcast.com. And, um, you know, a lot of them have been up there a few months. Doesn't matter. They're timeless. They're awesome stories. Awesome old war stories from um, politicians and media folk and uh, the gamut. And Sarah, I should tell you that my phone is in front of me and your friend Martha Bagley is calling. Should I take the call and put her on the show? Uh, I don't think you want to do that. All right. Yeah. We'll get back to her. I just want to point out, you're very mean to the producers. I'm on behalf of the producers, I would just like to say that I think you should be nicer to us. Let's, let's form a union. Oh. What do you think? Yes. Yes. Form a union. All right. High five. There you go. Absolutely. I just gave you the psycho violins for that suggestion. Uh, well, I apologize. Maybe you're right. I'm going to be nicer for the rest of the show, or at least... Max and I work really hard. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where's my fake laugh? Oh, there we go. That is good comedy. Really. Really good. Anyway, we're talking with Bob Long, and uh, Bob has his, his own PI outfit, has for many years a veteran um, uh, personal... Uh, personal private investigator and a former uh, state trooper. We're talking about a lot of those great stories, but... Um, Bob, if you don't mind, we want to talk about um, the Demoulis case um, because, um, you know, Max and I have had many conversations about this. And if, for those that don't know, you, you, uh, if you probably weren't around in the 90s. Was it the 90s? Yes, the 90s. 90s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 97. Um, and that epic battle over the, uh, the supermarket uh, fortune. Um, unless you want to talk about Spygate first. Want to talk about Spygate? No. Okay. We'll get to that afterwards. I'm a little bit up in arms. Spygate or Deflategate? Oh, Deflategate. Okay. Oh, don't, and don't forget the church. I wouldn't mind talking about Spygate also because people get that wrong. What, which church? What the church Holy scandal? Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church to which we've already referred. Yes, this could be the the, yeah. the scandal episode of uh, the Boston Podcast. So we just come up with a th- with a name for the episode. The scandal. The scandal, the scandal episode. Yeah. So okay, two two of the um one on one side is Mike Telemachus Demulus, and the other side is uh, the other guy who I can't remember. Arthur, 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 right? Okay, and so and there, and it was a uh, a lawsuit of epic proportions. Both sides hiring all kinds of uh, lawyers and law firms on <coughs> both ends. They they say sometimes you didn't even know who lawyer was working for which. Mm-hmm. You were brought. Tell us your role, Bob. You were brought in. Um, Actually, I was brought in by Tony Pelosi, okay. who uh, mm-hmm. I think you all know. And yeah. Tony, Tony was a former prosecutor I worked with. So he ended up getting the case and, and picking who was going to be on the team. And uh, Tony asked me to join the team. And um, it, uh, nobody knew at that particular time it would end up being such a adversarial, uh, a, prolonged, yeah. protracted uh, matter and a tragedy all around many ways. Many ways. It was sad. No one came out of it smelling like no, a rose. Yeah. No, no. Um, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, so Tony represented uh, uh, Arthur um, S. They, uh, Arthur they, S. Okay. They, Michael Telemachus and Arthur each had four children. They each were the executives of each other's uh, wills, and they were also the godfather of each other's children. They were 50 50 partners. And in 1973, Arthur had a heart attack and died at, at the age of 53. And um, Michael Telemachus went to his widow and said, your husband's dead, I now have two wives and I now have eight children, you, you'll never have anything to worry about, give me a stock. Mm. And that was the start of it. Yeah. And then over a period of time they've proven that uh, the other stock from the children that the children had were forged and uh, you know it's just, it's just been a long, 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 bit of, very bitter battle. Uh, 
Uh, one of the sons died uh, during, during the litigation, uh, a tragic car accident up in Montreal. Um, the, the, uh, everybody's reputations, uh, uh, Michael, who was a very, very char uh, philanthrop uh, charitable uh, individual, mm -hmm. yep. um, uh, he, uh, he, his reputation got ruined. Yeah. And, and, but, and everybody's reputation got ruined in that. I mean, even lawyers' reputations got ruined in that. Now, so you're a PI uh, on, our, on the Arthur S. side, and mm -hmm. on the other side, we now know the story has been documented to vast detail that a um, private investigator hired by those lawyers mm -hmm. conducted that now famous ruse, you mm -hmm. know, luring a, a clerk up to Nova Scotia, uh, telling him he had a job interview. It was really just trying to... to get information out of him on tape suggesting that Judge Maria Lopez was biased in the case? Mm. Were you already working on the case when you were, when that, I, when that bit? I had, no, I had already, I started back in, I think it was 1991, I believe, or 92, yeah. when it first started. So, first started. right, so, and you were on all along, so what? I, I still do work, case. On that case? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. It's it, not in the last year. Yeah. Not all, but, uh, yeah. My goodness. So. And. So do you remember when you heard about that, about what had happened, and what was your reaction about the whole scam with the clerk and whatnot? Uh, well, I have a personal opinion of why that happened. That's what we would like. A personal opinion. <laughs> I think the lawyer on the other side, who was a former prosecutor, still thought he had the badge. Right. And he used that badge because he thought he could bully his way. And um, he's had a lot of a lot of contacts in the federal judicial system and I thought uh, he got carried away with himself right. and, and money was no object at all. And so they could do anything they want and uh, for, for the end the end results all that counts just that there was no budget for the, on that side yeah no budget it was a, it was um, you know Nuclear missiles being fired in both directions. They spent five hundred thousand dollars on one of their witnesses in the wiretapping case. <laughs> that witness a is drug, now is a now a drug dealer. He's now retired, living in Miami Beach. It's amazing. Well, she, she thought it was her uh, retirement plan. That's amazing. Yeah, they spent five hundred thousand dollars on her. Uh, 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 I can't use the words to describe the woman, uh, but. Uh, they, a lot of people, that money got carried away with a lot of people and they made a lot of bad choices for their careers. Mm -hmm. And they all paid for A lot of people paid for it. That's right. So I'm going to ask you one question yeah. and then I want you guys to each ask a question because I know you both know about this case. But And looking back on it is, is always interesting to me. Um, so the, the um, you as a private investigator, you correct me if I'm wrong, my, my take on private investigators is, you know, you, you are hired to... Um, to get information that cannot otherwise be obtained, and sometimes you have to go through, you know, um, clever ways to do it. Now, um, what they did in the case was—I uh, forget what it's called. It's like a, the, there's a fancy word for a phony interview where you pretend to be somebody right. else, right? And um, so, is that not in a private investigator's arsenal? I mean, are you ever allowed to use that sort yeah. of thing? You are sometimes. Yeah, um, sometimes it could be over. A non-compete. We had a, a situation where a fellow owned Prime Prime Auto, which was on Route 53 in Hanover. It was a Mercedes-Benz dealership, and the uh, <laughs> and the, the the accountant CPA for the firm who uh, they hired, uh, and he had just filed bankruptcy in Connecticut. He siphoned out a million dollars of cash from the dealership. He converted several cars and, and um, sold them and uh, with phony uh, VIN numbers, Mercedes, and all of a sudden came up with some other people and they were gonna buy the dealership. Well, he drove the, they drove the dealership into bankruptcy, this dealership. Mm -hmm. It was a German hardworking individual and they drove him into bankruptcy and, and, and before the bankruptcy, Mercedes went to him and said, um, we're, we're taking away your floor plan, and your floor plan is your loans to to have all your cars in the, in the lot and in the showroom and what have you. And without a floor plan, he can't be in business. So they were going to pull back on that, and that would force them in the bank. But before he did, the accountant's the one who did it, and it was his scam was to force him into this 
so that he can buy the Mercedes in a distressed sale. Right. Okay. Yeah. So one of the owners, he the, the accountant approached one of the, the customers who he thought was a big money guy, and he was. But he also thought he was his friend, and he wasn't. And he came to us to tell us. Mm -hmm. So we did a sting operation and on him, and we brought him in to show us the books mm -hmm. to our office. Yep. <laughs> and and um, um, had two state troopers from the AG's office next door mm. to listen to this. And that's what he did. He, he told him, I got two sets of books, and this is this, this set, and this is this set. And so, yeah, you, you, you got them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that, it's, it's understandable that subterfuge will be part of the the uh, the, the yeah. arsenal of a PI. But yeah. I think in, in the Demoulis case, one, one of the distinctions was the subterfuge was being used to pierce a relationship that, that this society and the judiciary finds to be important, namely the, the, right. the relationship between. Clerk, a, a judge, a judge and a clerk, yeah. right, and that that there should be some sort of uh, confidentiality or privacy with respect to the communications that happen in that context. Right. Um, well, I, Max, you, you yeah. to explain your connection to this case because it's pretty relevant, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, Paul Walsh and I. Paul was for those of you who don't know the the clerk, the clerk. Who, was, who was involved. Um, Paul and I uh, were and are good friends. And at the time when he was going through this, he was at my very small firm. I was an associate, and so was he. And we, we had offices right next to each other. And I remember being utterly shocked when I heard about what happened to him. And I remember also contemplating quitting the practice of law because I thought to myself, if that's the way that I need to comport myself in order to be successful in this business, if I can, if I can just casually lay waste to people's lives and reputation, um, in, in the interest of my client, if I'm not willing to do that, if I'm not going to be successful, I, I don't want to be part of this. And it took people like my mentor at the time, Bob Sullivan, to, to, uh, to teach me and to re remind me that that's not really part of it. And I'm also very glad about what the BBA did in disbarring Gary Cross. BBO, man. Uh, the BBO, sorry, BBA is a Boston Bar Association. The, the BBO disbarring Cross and, and sending a message to everybody that that is not a, an appropriate way to behave and that you don't need to deploy those types of tactics mm -hmm. to be a winning attorney. By the way, the, the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Max. No, the, 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 that decision um, by um, uh, Alan Carpenter, who was a specially appointed hearing officer on that case, is, is a remarkable, it's, it's something like 200 pages or maybe more. And really outlines what, why, what they did was was uh, unforgivable, and they lost their 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 ticket, uh, the Dick Donahue and Gary Crossan, Dick, right? Yeah, and the, the, yeah, this one on Dick Donahue was a little quieter, I think, yeah. you know, because I think he was toward the end of his career. But yeah. Crossan was disbarred, mm -hmm. but I think he comes up for reinstatement this year, and and Ooh. I'm I'm going to cross my fingers that 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 won't. Uh, well, you can always find him. He's driving. Um, Afati Demolis around. He's the one who chauffeurs Afati around to the no, you know, place. No, yeah. not really. Well, there's, Still? Yes, yes, yes. there's oh a recent goodness. case that came oh, yeah. out where Crossan was. Um, there, there's there have been questions as to whether mm -hmm. he was practicing law, yeah. and with respect to real estate uh, deals. Yep. Yeah. Now wait a minute, but, Max. What, why not let him? He hasn't paid his penalty. He hasn't paid enough of a penalty already for what he did. No, I think that, that what he did is 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 unforgivable, and, and it sends the message to the lawyers that that's, a, that's the kind wow. of thing that, that okay. and, and Max, you're not the only one who got disgusted by that. And, and Tony Pelosi was the one who brought me in. No longer practices law mm. because of what went on in that case no. and what he saw happen and, and what he was exposed to, and he was just as disgusted as you were. And he lost faith, and he doesn't do it now. And he, he coaches lawyers now who go through stressful situations and stressful careers because Tony was struggling to keep his family during a, a case that lasted like 20-something years. He gave up the rest of his practice because he was so devoted to this one. Yeah. And, and he, it was, it's not an, as you all know, lawyers don't work eight-hour days. I mean, it was just, it's not there. And on a case like this, you have high, high uh, dollar, Stakes. Yeah, high stakes. And demanding clients. Stressful. And that's why he's not practicing, but he's coaching. He's helping He's helping other lawyers that look like they're setting themselves up to go through the same thing. And but, he, uh, yeah. yeah. It was we, interesting that you said that you almost thought about leaving. Because, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it, it, and I remember, I, I've been, Bob, you and I both have been friends with Tony for a long time. Just a very interesting guy, well spoken, 
funny as hell mm-hmm. um, yeah. and just a great spirit. And um, so um, we, it's funny. You said we, we tried to get him on the podcast today, but I just couldn't connect with him. We'll get Tony on at another date. He's, yeah. he's a great guy. But he certainly has, has landed on his feet. I mean, he's, oh, he's, yeah. uh, you oh, can yeah. see that he does real great at what oh, he yeah. does now. But um, so uh, uh, now ultimately... How did things end up for Paul Wallace? I'm looking at you, Max, because yeah. I know you're still in touch with him. Paul landed on his feet in a big way. Yeah. Um, so okay. I think Paul was concerned. Uh, he had some very powerful people who were gunning for his career, or at least threatening to gun for his career, in exchange for um, some information that they thought he had. Um, and he was devastated. He thought that, it, that you know he'd only been practicing a couple of years. He had a clerkship, and and then started with what was then Sullivan, Weinstein, and McQuay, or maybe Sullivan and Associates. Um, but then one of our clients, a, 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 a very large software company called Parametric Technology Corporation, hired him as an in-house lawyer, and then he ended up going to Hong Kong, and 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 becoming a, an in-house lawyer in Hong Kong, which he. So he's an international lawyer now, anyway, which is exactly right? <laughs> which is exactly what he wanted. Right. And his his yeah. his wife's family is from. But wait, uh, explain that. Explain that. What's that? Why the irony there? Yeah. Oh yeah, well they were able to to get Paul to come in for the interview, promising him a job at an international insurance company. I yeah, think right, it was right. a British. A, a, a LTD. That's the way they lured him. He was excited yeah. about it, yeah. and he and ended up getting it, the real job. Uh, it all worked out for him. He's, he has a great life. Um, over in Hong Kong, and um, it, he told me that um, he printed out Alan Carpenter's decision right before he boarded a ferry. I think he was leaving Hong Kong to go. I don't know exactly where he was going, but I, I, I pictured this Grisham moment where, oh, yeah. where yeah, just even just a silhouette of Paul Walsh reading this decision and a tear coming oh, yeah. falling down his face because I know how incredibly emotionally he had he was at the time and still is about what what happened to him but he's not bitter he's done extremely well and he's a happy guy you know that's that's great to hear just one one, go ahead just because what's what i saw was not only what you saw with the clerk judge what they try to do there um what i saw also was editorials from globe herald lowell sun a lot of papers that i had a lot of respect for however when you have a client of all those three papers advertising millions of dollars yeah. there every week, I could not believe what was being reported as being fact and was so slanted to so one-sided wow. at the beginning. And the truth came out in the end with the judge's decisions. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just so, so, I was very disappointed. Yeah, because you know there are columnists you, 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 I still haven't forgiven for what they've I'm written. Sorry? There are some columnists around oh. this town that I still have not okay, come yeah, to ter- yeah. forgiven for what they've written, right, right, what they wrote right, at the time. Right. So, so you, yeah, yeah. So I'm it, glad to hear Paul's doing good. I'm yeah. sorry. So, so we should good. all the four of us should just sit sit down and and what Ben Sarah you had said you had a connection too. Get it in, or you're not you don't want to say no, it on I the air. I mean, this is how incestuous Boston is, yeah. right? So when I was a young attorney, I was an associate in a firm that represented one side of the Demolis. Yep. Cortege, for lack of a better yeah. expression. You can say the name of the firm. What, and was, then, it? what um, was the firm? It was Peabody and Arnold. Okay. Yeah. I left the firm. I went into a private ADR practice, um, which was the first time I encountered the FBI, because two FBI agents came to our practice. They wanted to speak to one of the people with whom I worked mm. about something that that person may or may not have seen at a restaurant on Charles Street involving Jeez, that, Judge Lopez. That was a key not. moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. Oh, Gerard, then, and, oh, yeah. exactly. Gerard and Lopez having dinner. But then the interesting thing, Legend. and this is slightly different from, from Max's perspective. So one thing about being a full-time ADR provider is um, I mostly hang out with judges. Because judges can't have friends who are lawyers. They can't socialize with lawyers. Oddly enough, judges socialize with ADR providers. So my friends who are judges who are not intimately involved in the Demoulis case were shaken to the core by this thing Mm. because they rely on their clerks. They have to trust their clerks. They choose them very carefully. Mm. And the judges are now all looking at their clerks in real time when this was happening, thinking... I don't know what I can say to my mm. clerk or not. I don't know what I can delegate. And for a period of time there, 
the clerks were frustrated because all they were getting were secretarial duties. Here, run and get me some toilet paper. <laughs> run and get me some coffee. Right. If it's good, if newspaper. it's if it's become a but, kind of weapon in cases where the other side can approach the clerk and try to milk exactly. information, yeah. And that had a devastating effect on our judiciary for quite a while. And I was with Max. I mean, I sat there for however long it was ten years waiting for the BBO to take action. And I think you it, sat with Max for ten years. Pretty much. <laughs> but it speaks to the bar here yeah. that I think the vast majority of attorneys were thinking to themselves and saying to one another, if the BBO does not come down hard on this, we're sending a really dangerous message to the bar. Yeah. That there's a slippery slope and you're welcome to skid down it. And when that discipline came out and Judge Carpenter's remarks became public, I think it was it, it sort of it elevated who we are mm -hmm. as attorneys. And that's important because we take an awful lot of grief from people for yeah. what we do. But there is an inherent standard here that we all try and uphold, that the troopers try and uphold, the investigators, the attorneys. Yeah, and, most people get into it to try to do good. And yeah. Gary yeah. Crossan stepped all over it. He did. Uh, I interviewed him. My connection was because I interviewed Gary uh, when I was at Lawyers Weekly and um, and did a what I think was a decent Q&A. He, he answered every question. He defended himself. And like in his mind, he still it was just a, it was zealous advocacy, and um, you know I respectfully disagreed, and most others did. And then the FBI came to my office too, to to add, I thought it was a joke when someone said Dave, the FBI is in the lobby. I said I'm not important enough to uh, I'm the I'm the editor of Lawyers Weekly. I'm not important yeah. enough to talk to the you FBI. Thought, you thought it was a strippergram. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Well, I was hoping, of course. Yeah, of but uh, as it turned out, they wanted to take the temperature of of the the bar of the law. They wanted to know what the opinion was of lawyers generally as to what these guys did because it, it had become a political thing as to whether or not these guys were going to be federally yeah. prosecuted. And um, and I told them that, uh, you know, the vast majority of lawyers I talked to thinks that it was unforgivable and that, as a lawyer would say, the tickets should be pulled. And, um, however, whatever I said apparently had no bearing because uh, it, it was right. It, that, that was, I mean, it's amazing all the twists and turns of this thing. Well, that's was, why Tony will be a great guest for you. Oh, I'll ask yeah. him what he happened will. the last day of uh, President Clinton's Janarino, uh, Janarino, Reno, yeah. okay. somehow yeah. decided not to prosecute. On the last day. Last day. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, it was a, it was a yeah. Greek, it was a Greek, Greek tragedy. tragedy. It yes. was, it was a saga. It was, and Paul Walsh, who, who had a, struggled with a, a stutter, right? Yeah. And, and, and I, also, told, I, I should say that I, I, Paul Walsh, um, and, and this, this isn't a tribute to Paul, but I have to say this: Paul is one of the most courageous people I've ever met. It took a lot of guts to stand up to them. It took a lot of guts to stick because what he decided uh, when he was threatened and being extorted was that he was going to do the right thing. He was not going to play ball. He was going to go. He went to mm -hmm. he went back to our office, talked to Bob Sullivan. Yeah. They got Harry Mannion yeah, involved, I know, I know. and then that night they're talking to the the FBI. Um, but but let's also talk just for a second about how Paul got got into the position that he was. He was a litigator. He was a litigator who began college and throughout college had a debilitating stutter. Now. Think about that. You, 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 people with disabilities. It would be. It's very easy to do something that masks the disability, or that that somehow uh, de-emphasizes the disability. Paul basically said, I, "I'm going to take this head on," and he did. And he became not just a litigator, but a very, very good one. Uh, one that uh, that I got a, a front row seat for to see him practice in, in for the first few years of his career, and he was very good at it. So. They didn't know either who they were messing with, and part of me wishes that Paul, who also I think played a little football at BC, would have taken matters into his hands at the Four Seasons <laughs> and, and given given across a, a down payment on his disbarment. Yeah. Well, the, the moment the moment when the the lawyers sprung it on him was at the, at the Four Seasons, and he he still thinks he's continuing this phony right. what turns out to be a phony job interview process, and they spring it on him. And he now recognizes the lawyers that he's been dealing yeah. with. And as I remember the story, he, he was struggling to get his words. And it really it sounds like a Hollywood movie. He, you know, he's 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 a guy who has conquered this speech impediment. He, and his they said he looked so rattled that it, it was. And, and um, why would you not? It's like he felt like his world was crashing down at that moment. Twenty so, year, twenty year, twenty eight year old kid. So who are we going to, so, so, and it, it's stunning that they, I know that there was a Globe uh, columnist who was, who was, uh, uh, I shouldn't say friendly with Paul, but he, he sort of was, and they were going to collaborate on the story. This should be a movie. It should be, yeah. You know and, what? It has to be a series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> True to tell, tell you, better than 
The next True Detective. I'll tell you a story. Serial. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you a story. We could do it. Anyways. Hey, maybe we will. And this is what it, this sums it up. Yeah. So I had to go over to Switzerland on a matter, okay? And um, I had to meet with some people at uh, Geneva Airport. And I had to tell them, uh, this is who I am, this is what I did. You can check them with Logan Airport, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm here because of A, B, C, D, and... You'll have to come back tomorrow because none of us speak, spoke English, so I had to come back the next day. Oh, and it was a woman. Yeah. And she was a woman detective, and I'm telling her A, B, C, D, and da, da, da. And she's not getting it. She's not getting it. So finally, she finally goes, ah, I got it. I got it. I go, what do you got? She goes, Dallas, just like your TV program Dallas. I said, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what it was about. That's what it was that's about. about. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, that's great. So we'll cast, and I think we're going to cast uh, Tommy Lee Jones as as oh, Bob Long. Perfect, perfect. What do you think? A younger, a younger Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. We got to put him in the time machine. And Matt Damon should be uh, Paul Walsh. I think he's going to have to bulk up a little bit for the role. That'd, no? that'd be good. That'd be good. And he yeah. can be played by Kevin Spacey, of course. <laughs> Sandra Bullock plays. Sarah, obviously. Yeah, we have cameos. I mean, yeah, we'll throw a cameo in as to. I'll take Alec Baldwin. Really you want to be <laughs> Alec Baldwin? It's a pretty small role for him at this point. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, put your law degree down. <laughs> well, Bob, I wish we could talk for hours more about because I know we'll have you back because we have other stories that we'd like to hear from you. And um, but tell us um, if people if people want to know about your practice, should they go to your your website or? Sure. What? Yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, boblongpi.com. Boblongpi.com, and the people that tend to employ you are, uh, are uh, well, lawyers yep. for litigation support, uh, corporations for internal investigations, theft, fraud, embezzlement, um, financial institutions for du due diligence. Return, accountants do the accounting due diligence. I do the character due diligence. Mm -hmm. Are they who they say they are? Do they have what they say they have behind them? Mm -hmm. And if they take run off with the assets, then they chase the assets. So. So, and then uh, high net worth individuals that end up having problems. And uh, I do a lot of work for, in the healthcare industry as well. And uh, there's a lot of diversion of uh, very expensive equipment mm -hmm. uh, to third world countries and what have you. And it's, it's a real black market out there for that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Call hey. Bob Long, visit him at boblongpi.com. And you know what? Do yourself a favor, invite Bob Long to lunch, because I've had lunch with Bob Long, and it's the most enjoyable lunch. You get stories, you get color, you get all of Bob's charm and wit. We appreciate you being on the Boston Podcast, my friend. Will you come back some other time? Yes, dude. All right. And uh, do you th is he being completely sincere when he says that? I don't think. I'm about to him the lie detector. He's got one in his bag. Someone grab the polygraph. Thanks for joining us on the Boston Podcast. See you next time.